Well, good afternoon, everybody, and good evening to anybody in uh, Europe that might be joining us, because uh, my guest today is actually in Northern Ireland. It's uh, 7 o'clock for him right now, and when we set up this call, we were originally going to have uh, some Irish whiskey, but it's only <laughs> it's only noon for me, so instead I've got a coffee. What, what do you have there, Eddie? Uh, I've got a coffee, but by the time we finish, it'll be 1 p.m., and Chad, I think that's as good a time as any for an Irish whiskey. Absolutely. I'm, I'll join you in on that. You've got some uh, friends over. So I, I did promise we'll keep this to 45 minutes. So maybe 1245 my time, I'll pour myself a dram of Irish whiskey. That so uh, Eddie, thanks so much for uh, for joining me on this call. I'm excited to talk all things prop tech with you. Uh, but before we jump into any further, could you just give me a little bit of background about how you got into prop tech and then also the company that you co-founded, uh, Unisu, if you could talk a little bit about that as well. Yeah, it's very prescient timing. And firstly, thanks for having me on, Chad. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to the discussion. Um, I've actually been arguing with my business partner uh, in Unisu, who's a guy called James Deersley, um, because we both think that we were the first people to use the word prop tech. Um, we, we first, uh, we each, independently of the other, started um, started in this area of technology for real estate around 2014, maybe late 2013. He was, uh, he was writing a newsletter and I was podcasting. Um, so we know we were using the word around that time, but um, I've, I've been able to find an article on the internet in trade press where Eddie Holmes was writing the prop tech column. It was uh, a prop tech news uh, column for, for um, residential brokers. Uh, and that was late 2014. So at the moment, I'm claiming the crown and he's off looking around YouTube and Twitter to find some other uh, some other evidence of it. Um, but the, the real sort of uh, origin of, of this is I, I was an entrepreneur in real estate services, uh, working in recruitment and tax and uh, legal services for, uh, for real estate transactions. And um, I've, I've always been a bit of a techie, not, 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 not like a coder, just really interested in technology. And um, I went out to find a CRM system for my law firm at the time. And I couldn't find anything that really was, was about the customer. It was all about, you know, cases and compliance and all this sort of stuff. So we bought the best we could find, did some tweaks with it to try and make it a little bit more customer centric. And it actually did what I did, did something I subsequently discovered uh, was what you look for with technology businesses. Number one, it made it cheaper to find your customer. And number two, it made it cheaper to service your customer. And as a result, your margins were higher than a typical business in the space. And uh, a, a chap called Harry Hill, who had founded a business here in the UK called Brightmove, which is a residential portal, much like uh, Zillow and, and others of that nature. Um, he had gone on to uh, other ventures and tried to acquire us. And the deal didn't go through, but it really made me go like, okay, this is like, I need to understand more about what's happening here. So in order to do that, I, I started an incubator, a business incubator for startups in uh, Tech City in London, which is like the crappy UK version of Silicon Valley. And um, basically immersed myself in technology and businesses and entrepreneurs and just tried to absorb as much as I could. And the same chap, Harry Hill, was uh, one of the mentors in this incubator. And what started happening was we started getting all these entrepreneurs, often from the real estate industry, coming through the doors saying, hey, I've got an idea. And you two guys, mainly Harry, um, you're, you're, like, you're famous for what you've done in real estate technology when no one was famous for real estate technology. So we just got to meet all these people. And to cut a long story short, in a period of about three years, 
I went to uh, be the investment director in a prop tech investment house uh, called what's now called Spire Ventures. We launched the first uh, prop tech accelerator in Europe called Pi Labs, which is still going today. Uh, after leaving that, I did two things. Number one, I set up the first prop tech association, the UK prop tech association uh, here in the UK to try and connect the, the parties. And I did some independent uh, consulting around investments and led the investment in a prop tech company called uh, Fixflow by three really big real estate brands here in the UK in the resi space. Uh, Zoopla, which is the challenger portal to Rightmove, Countrywide and Connells, the two biggest estate agency, two biggest real estate agent groups. Uh, and that business actually exited last summer to put a nice kind of circular path on it. So that was my my journey. I met James because I was doing a podcast, much like yourself, the PropTech podcast. And it was it, uh, just by fate. I promise I didn't plan this. It was recorded above a pub in North London. <laughs> and the, the format was essentially, unlike your very professional organization here, where uh, you know we've met in the green room and we've had a discussion and we planned what we're going to talk about we would sit, meet in the pub and have a few beers and talk about all, all sorts of stuff. And so James rang me up and says, I've been listening to your podcast. You might know me because I, I write a newsletter on PropTech. I was like, yeah, I know who you are. I know who you are. And he says, you always talk about collaboration. So um, given that, I think your podcast would be, that would be better if I was on it as well. And what could I say? I couldn't be like, no, 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 no <laughs> collaboration. So we started podcasting. We did three years of consulting. We were advising real estate companies, tech companies, events companies, and banks, insurance companies on what does the wave of technology entering uh, the real estate industry, what's it likely to mean? Uh, and through that, we came to the conclusion that whilst it's great fun doing consulting, actually, it's a much bigger problem than we can solve. And we created what is today Unisoo. And to finish my not very superhero origin story, Unisoo is a marketplace that connects real estate professionals who are engaged with technology with technology providers. And that's about helping the real estate professionals learn and understand what's going on before engaging often with the tech companies. And it's about helping tech companies get their message out. So we get, um, as, a, as a global marketplace, we get a really interesting snapshot of what's happening in the industry, which firms are doing well on both sides of the market, uh, and hopefully some indications of where the market might go, uh, which I'll try my best to uh, derive any insight from and share with you today. But um, that's, that's the kind of background story. We've been going now, like in 2013, 2014, PropTech was new. It's 2022 and PropTech is still new for a lot of real estate professionals today. It's still like just an unknown and a, a, a very, you know, very much a gaping chasm of confusion and mystery, but it feels like we've been doing it forever. <laughs> so it's like, you know, the polit 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 a very famous uh, politician once said, you know, you have to remember that when you are sick of talking about something, it's going to be the first time that many other people will ever have heard the word even mentioned. So that's kind of where we are. And um, we're seeing all sorts of explosions of, uh, of success stories on the real estate side and the, and the prop tech side. Um, so long may that continue. 
that that was a the great origin story actually i, I love the the whole whole thing from start to finish <laughs> and particularly i like the idea of moving a podcast to having beers instead of having this uh be professionally produced i might need to have an offline conversation with wyatt and move this to the pub uh for, for future well, ones listen, what, what wyatt's gonna say chad is listen you do that chad but your edit fees are gonna double because of that <laughs> all, this, all the crap you guys were talking about. yeah i don't know if i could pay him in in whiskey or not but yeah, <laughs> Maybe it's a good form of currency these days. Uh, so I, I think that like picking up on on how you talked about the confusion in the prop tech space, I, I think that that's a great place to jump into because I agree there does seem to be this misconception on what prop tech actually is, what it can do, how people can utilize it, how they can even just get a better understanding of what it is. So I, I guess from like a real broad standpoint, how would you describe prop tech? Um, well, I'm going to start with a negative. It's not a, a magic bullet to all of the problems of real estate firms that you know are struggling or anything of that nature. It really isn't. Um, prop tech is really a symptom of the underlying, not illness, if you like, but the underlying trend that's happening across the industry, which is digital transformation. And digital transformation is about a group of companies in a similar industry looking at technology and saying, actually, there could be some really great opportunities for our businesses based on, on, on what's happening in the technology market. Now, those opportunities might be about a new business model or about stealing your customers from somewhere else and growing the business based on pinching other people's revenue. It might be uh, achieved by giving people, a, giving your customers a much better customer experience or improving the values by which you work, uh, or it could be more, more, prosaic in a way about just managing your data better to improve how you do business on a day-to-day -day basis. So prop tech is a, 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 essentially a marketing term which encompasses all of the businesses that have sprung up over the past kind of six years to help real estate firms do one or more of those things. Um, as a marketing term, it's been very helpful because it's brought attention to that. But as a real estate firm, you can't just go out and be like, hey, PropTech X, Y, and Z, I'm going to buy your solution and it's going to trans digitally transform my business. You have to start with a much more fundamental look at how you operate, what is important in your, uh, in, in your operations, what value you're providing to your customers, and also start to think and use your, I suppose, your entrepreneurial hat about where's this industry going, where's the market going, and then you can really begin to assess different tools from the prop tech market that can uh, enable and facilitate you uh, on that journey. Um, to provide a more sort of positive or, or uh, I guess a descriptor for what prop tech is, um, at Unisu we define a prop tech company as any company that primarily focuses on selling hardware or software solutions to a real estate company or more relevantly to any company that is involved with any uh, any stage of the built assets life cycle. Now that's quite wordy, but basically a life cycle of a building is quite straightforward. You design it, you build it, then you manage it on an ongoing basis. Sometimes you buy it, sometimes you sell it, and ultimately you'll demolish it. We haven't found any prop tech companies that demolish things, but prop tech companies all deliver solutions that work with one or more of those uh, life cycle uh, stages of the building. And the biggest one is manage, because managing a building happens every single day. 
buying and selling a building might be five, seven, 10 years uh, in between. So tech entrepreneurs naturally gravitate towards areas where they can use their technology more often on a daily basis rather than on a six, seven, 10 year basis. So I, I hope I've um, given you like a, okay, here's a misconception about PropTech. This is what it isn't. It's not a silver bullet, but what it is, is a group of companies that can, uh, that can really support well thought out uh, strategies within real estate firms and with, and by real estate professionals. Yeah, a great overview. And and that that leads to the next question that I had was why has the real estate market and we can speak from a big standpoint like a high high level standpoint just real estate in general or or even more granularly like commercial real estate or industrial real estate, why has that industry been so reluctant and resistant to adopting prop, property technology? Uh, because it, it seems like it's it's behind in other industries. Yeah, I I don't know the answer to that. I just have my opinions. As I was saying to you just before we came on air, I don't usually come in front of the camera because my opinions are a little bit uh, less uh, less palatable than, uh, or maybe I just express them badly. But well, that, that's why I invited you for, the, for, the, for that exact reason. <laughs> um, I had this conversation today actually uh, with, uh, with an organization that services the real estate industry. And there's three answers, certainly here in, in, uh, in, our local markets. I don't. I don't know about your local markets, but perhaps there'll be some uh, some uh, similarities. Number one, the life cycle of that journey from design and build through to demolition is so elongated that it takes real strategic thought to consider how technology is going to apply through an entire life cycle, and that kind of is is a problem because. Anytime you retrofit technology, which inevitably you do in that environment, it's going to be uh, you know less than optimal uh, outcome. You know, at the minute you look at something simple like say air quality sensors in commercial spaces, you're going into buildings and seeing air quality sensors hanging off all sorts of places and not looking very good, and it's complicated running your wiring if they're wired and powering them and so on and so forth. Whereas if you design that sort of capability into the building at the start, it's much much more straightforward. Um, you have to worry about obsolescence in, the, in that scenario, but nonetheless. So the life cycle of the of the asset and the transaction times, all those things make it a challenge to adopt technology. Secondly, too many real estate people have been making too much money for too long to even worry about it. You know, it's it's almost like the scrappy mid-market firms or professionals that haven't sort of created huge wealth inequality between them and the people at the bottom of their of the pyramid that are the, the, the drivers for change or they want to, to climb those heights. Ultimately, if you're making loads of money and your business model is working, the catalyst for innovation, i.e. make more money, is like, yeah, it's a nice to have rather than like a primary driver. And then the third one, and it's really the most important one in, in my view, because if you solve this problem, you also solve the first two because you just start thinking differently, is that the industry is far too homogenous uh, in its skill sets and in its backgrounds. Here in the UK, every single broker, more or less, has been to the same school. Their dads are at the same golf club. They do the same courses and they come and they do the same jobs where they get taught by their dad's friends. So there, there is n almost no or has been almost no percolation 
of skill sets from outside the industry. It's massively stratified. And I've heard people describe it as pale meal and stale, which I think is, 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 I think it's probably reasonably accurate. Um, because of that, there is no, there's no like catalyst for change or there hasn't been any catalyst from ch for change. Some of that catalyst, that catalysm has happened by some of those people coming out of the industry and then being crazy enough to start a technology company and coming back to say, Hey, this is going to really improve your lives. But then they come up against the status quo of, yeah, but we're all making loads of money. <laughs> so, you know, why? What I think has had, so that, that's why it's been so slow in, in my opinion. Um, what has started to change uh, is, is in one, one sense, I think linked to that, um, which is the linking of executive pay, certainly here in Europe at least, to ESG outcomes. So now you can't just keep pocketing your massive bonuses unless you're thinking about things like sustainability. And if you start thinking about you know those questions, technology is inevitably the answer. And partly linked with that, but partly more uh, just you know good 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 strategy around digital transformation generally is starting to say. How can we give our customers a better experience? There, I challenge you to think of another industry in the world that calls their customers tenants, right? You know, in, in, embodied in the naming of the real estate industry's customers, certainly in, in the leasing uh, sphere, is this concept of landlord superior and tenant inferior. It's like, no, 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 no. You go to Apple and talk talk to them as a customer. You're you are there. You're their guiding star, their north star. So um, that's actually that's definitely starting. The people are are are, are seeing that, and I, um, I'm just going to shut the door because the dogs are barking. Okay. Um, we we've just seen here in in the UK this week a real estate company out of London called Great Portland Estates, and they're about six or seven years into their strategy, led by a guy called James Pellet and uh, ably assisted by Ella Ella Walters and possibly other people that I don't know. But they've gone to the uh, the the prop tech trade fair this week, and they've basically been the only real estate company standing up there and saying, "Look at all this stuff we're doing by putting our customer first. And all over social media, or maybe it's just my social media because I'm pretty sad and it's all prop tech stuff. It's just been like all these plaudits coming in. It's the only real estate company off the back of that show that's had any coverage or any plaudits. And that starts to do some pretty cool things, which will reinforce the adoption of PropTech, which is, hey, I want to go and work for that company. They're doing really cool stuff amongst the like the bright young people who are starting their careers out. And it starts to attract new tenants and new uh, new new customers. See, I fell into the trap and I called them tenants as well. But it attracts new customers to a new value proposition where I'm more important than I was in the past. So it's been really slow for a number of reasons. It's starting to change. There has been a bit of a tipping point. Tipping point's probably most likely linked to money. No surprise there in real estate. No offense, I'm in the industry. <laughs> we all need to make money. Um, and that's probably not going to change. That trend's probably not going to change. So I think we'll start to see faster adoption. And I think you'll also see that happening in the market with um, with the way the debate and the discussion's going on on. on really important issues for not just the industry, but for society and the world and where the answers have to involve technology. So going to that company that uh, was at the uh, trade show and, and they're incorporating some cool technology uh, you mentioned, what are, what are some of the cool prop tech 
things that you're seeing either in progress uh, that that might come out in the near future or that are already here that just ha haven't got the recognition it deserves um it's really hard for me to answer that question chad because i'm not a real estate operator or broker or or anything you know i just look at the market and the data and try to imagine the answer to a question of that nature um what, what we see are some some trends uh amongst buyers uh, we run a procurement service at uh, unistry where we take the needs of the real estate owner or operator out to the market um we see a lot of access control you know improving access control uh projects at the moment we see a lot of uh organizations looking for better quality uh, building management uh systems and we see a lot of covid related requests like as i mentioned before air quality sensors and occupancy sensors um this is really all all that kind of thing is really wrapped up in the topic of workplace experience and workplace utilization and that's relevant because of the return to the office which along with sustainability as we just touched on is really the other main uh, protagonist that's driving adoption of technology well sorry apart from executive pay don't forget executive pay it's, it's up here and then there's like the two reasons for it down here a little bit um so return return to the office and if it's going to happen at all if it does happen what does it look like is leading to a lot of explore exploration and purchasing uh in the technology um when it comes when it comes to i i think the the sort of the, the broker uh, side of the market I don't know. See, we, we have very different industries, I think, on our respective sides of the pond. Here in the UK, uh, brokerage has always been a very corporate endeavor uh, where big firms really uh, lead. And it's the firms that have the reputation. It's the firms that make decisions about technology. Whereas my perception of uh, across the pond is perhaps more the individual brand and individual reputation. Um, albeit affiliated perhaps as a franchise with a with a a, a bigger brand but um that that leads to some quite different um, dynamics about how technology gets purchased and how it gets deployed um look at looking into into that kind of space you know i think we can reasonably say that uh vr has largely won the early adoption race in the brokerage market. I mean, any any reasonable asset has probably got at least a virtual tour and possibly something a lot more advanced uh, than that. Um, where, where, where we come back to that original question about what PropTech is, though, is where you're going to start to find much more subtle applications of technology amongst brokers and brokerages, in my view. Um, and that's because each broker and each brokerage might have a different perception about what does a great customer experience look like during my relationship with that that user. Um, and there's a couple of things I, I'd probably um, I'd probably imagine uh, are are important there. Number one is nurturing. You know, those transactions are so infrequent. You've got to build your pipeline and nurture both sides of that market for extended periods of time. And technology can offer great ways to nurture. You know, like, for example, with Unisu, the way we nurture our uh, our technology buyers is to constantly give them educational materials that we share with them to help them understand how the industry is changing. Um, so nurturing uh, pre-transaction is super important. 
Um, then during what the do you mean by what do you mean by like a pre-transaction? Uh, so like so before the lease the lease happens or before the the, the asset gets bought and sold, whatever you know. How do you how okay. do you keep your funnel engaged, all, all your lead gen, and ultimately make sure you get the instruction and manage the transaction um, gotcha. at, at the point uh, that it happens. So there's great stuff to be done there. During the transaction, I think there, there's an element that's it's reasonably mature. It's had a lot of money spent on it. And ultimately, I don't know what it's like over there. You can perhaps tell me more. But in the UK, the transaction, the problems with it are really around the lawyers rather than the brokers. Lawyers just grind things to a halt here because there's no kind of fixed structure, no escrow, no pre-title, pre-transaction -pre title checks, anything like that, um, which is a massive weak, weak point and perhaps more room for improvement uh, in the UK and Europe than, uh, than in North America. But then the really, really, really interesting one for me is the one that requires a much longer term mindset for, for brokers and brokerages, which is we've just done a transaction here of whatever type. At that moment in time when the transaction gets inked, as a broker, you know more about the people, the businesses and the asset than anybody else in the world, you are on a gold mine of information. And my, my instincts tell me that the firms that learn to manage that data and information best are the companies that will establish the longer term advantage because it gives you an opportunity to maintain a relationship with those parties over an extended period of time and to keep them interacting with you where without technology it's inevitable that you're just going to stop calling them you know you're not going to keep going for dinner or you know all those offline activities that keep relationships strong because what you really want is to make sure that all that hard work you did to nurture all of your leads to the point where you could be involved in the transaction and make a fee is for that fee to then get repeated in five years and repeated five years after that, five years after that, and just lock other people out of the opportunity. Almost simply because you know you've got access to more information about how these things uh, happen than anybody else. <laughs> and, and certainly in my experience of working in a residential agency here in the UK, once the deal's done and you've got your commission, the instinct is to be like, okay, we're out of there now um, and not think long-term because you're so focused on that that moment when the deal closes. When you, you bring up a really good point, like not only is that a good practice from a customer service standpoint, but it's also just a good business practice uh, to keep those customers in that, in that pipeline. Would, would you be referring to something as simple as a CRM to manage that? Or are there more sophisticated options available now? Um, there, there's a lot more sophisticated options. The, the reason that it's not that, that we, we haven't done it in the past is just not cost effective. What technology will do, regardless of whether it's CRM or something else, is it will be more cost effective to maintain those relationships, even if it's just, you know, check-ins every now and again. Um, but like, you know, simple things that a couple of the portals here will do now is, you know, once you've transacted, they'll send you an update on the, the value of your property every so often. Um, probably do that in North America as well, and and that's actually where where brokers face real risk of what's called disintermediation, uh, because a broker is an intermediary in the transaction. And if you look at technology strategy and theory, a lot of it tends towards disintermediation of the intermediaries. I get rid of the brokers, and I even had a um, 
I had a, a client come to us uh, a few months ago and they said, I want to build a visualization tool so that when someone's looking for an office space, they can actually have a fully immersive experience of whatever we're building at the time. Because we don't want to, we just want to build our own pipeline. We don't want to pay brokers. It's distant disintermediation through technology, absolutely uh, crystal clear. And we got chatting, and I was like, "Well, if you if you're going to do all that anyway, why restrict it to your own properties? Why not just let anybody put their properties on there? You're going to aggregate all the data about the buyers." And um, he was like, "Well, if we do that, then that means I can disintermediate far more brokers. This sounds great." <laughs> So that, that's the threat for brokers is, is real estate owners or operators at either end of the buy or sell uh, chain actually saying, how do we get rid of these people that are just taking fees out of our market? Unfairly, perhaps, but that's the mindset that many will have. And the counter to that, again, is going to be really great engagement with various parties and using technology to empower, uh, empower brokers to, to do so. Um, so I know it's not a specific question. I can't be like, hey, go and buy this app and you're going to make tons more commission. But it, it's way more about thinking around the, the, the important values that you perceive your customers uh, get from your relationship and how can you maintain those over time and then leverage them and have it make, make sure you just know that the deal's happening, first of all, and then make sure that you're part of the deal because technology you know, one of the drivers through a transformation of a real estate owner, buyer, seller, uh, residential or commercial is to think, well, how can I make it cheaper and more efficient to transact? And ultimately the first, first line of fire is going to be any intermediary in the process. Yeah. And, and as a broker myself, I can certainly appreciate that, that sentiment because it is an expense. There, there's no denying. You, don't it appreciate. You, you recognize the sentiment, but I you don't appreciate it. I, I do appreciate it because I, I, I'm no different myself if I were trying to do my taxes. I, if I could do it without an accountant, that'd be something that I would look to do. Yeah. I just, I can't do it by myself and I, an accountant provides some value to me. So I, I don't, I don't personally think that the broker is ever going to be uh, taken out of the equation fully, but I think that their value proposition is going to have to evolve and, and it's going to evolve beyond just being order takers and this is what we want to do fill out some paperwork deliver it and, and you're essentially like a, a server bringing food taking a food order and bringing the food i don't think that that's going to be enough I, th I think the process will have to evolve that the broker is bringing more value beyond just something that the the seller can do themselves and, and that that's why the the conversation of prop tech is so fascinating to me is that i think brokers stand the best chance to stay ahead of that technology because we to some extent, we all, we all use it uh, in, in some regard. As, as minor as it might be in our day-to-day -day lives, we use it. And if we fail to adapt to these coming changes, then then those brokers, in my mind, are the ones the biggest threat of being uh, run out of the business. But the ones that figure this out, that, that can integrate it, that can coordinate a lot of this different technology and, and really provide and value to the to their client or their customer uh in my mind that that's the, that's the next generation of brokers so that's why i find this whole whole topic fascinating and, and, and i do appreciate I, I do appreciate why clients expect more and if their sentiment is saying we just want to to minimize costs well then not having a broker in there is is great but if the broker can also provide value in the term of top line 
revenue growth or or a, a better experience, then then they're bringing something to the table that wasn't there before. So delicate situation for sure. I'm sure that there's a lot of uh, cynical people out there. You made the point earlier, which I really liked about how how these people have made money, especially like that older that older uh, school generation. They've made a, a lot of money on very archaic systems. Yeah. Some of them still using notepads and pens, and their their uh, their database is a filing cabinet. Oh yeah, you had to put it away. I, I still have one. I have one on me right now, actually. Uh, I, I'm I'm like crossing. I, I'm I'm gonna cross the Rubicon one of these days and 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 burn the boats and, and get rid of pens. But I'm well, in between it right now. Chad, I actually prefer using a good old fashioned pencil with an eraser on the top of it. <laughs> Even though you're you're in charge of a uh, a prop tech. Uh, absolutely, I've seen under the under the curtain. Um, look, you're you're absolutely right. I couldn't agree more. Um, on a, on a number of different levels. Firstly, um, that that dynamic that you talk about around uh, tech being a real supporting uh, feather in the uh, feather in the cap of the good brokers is great. You know, the, uh, something that would be really good is that if the people who don't really embrace tech, they don't really think about their customer get chased out of the market. You know, we don't need bad brokers. We don't need deals getting slowed down because of inefficiency or because greed or whatever it may be you know, put the customer first and let the best brokers rise to the top hopefully uh, I, i'm i'm a vested interest but hopefully enabled by uh, technology that will be a good thing the second thing is that brokers are in a you know you guys are you're in a in, a, in the box seat to take the lead on this because I'm, I'm an owner. I'm only going to dispose of a small number of assets. I'm only going to go through a small number of transactions in any given period. You're going through these transactions all the time. Mm -hmm. So you've got far more exposure to what's good and what's bad, and what needs to be improved, and where the opportunities are than I do. So any innovation that I want to bring to the market is almost by default going to be brought to the market after you guys should have brought it to the market. Because I, I just don't know. I'm going to, if I, you know, I think of myself as a homeowner and if I were to come to the market and sell my property, I'm going to probably do some cursory searching to see what tech is good or what firms use tech, but I'm probably not that invested in really driving that change. The agent or the broker that comes to me and says, look at all these great ways we're going to manage this process, minimize stress, maximize the price to you, reduce the time. I'm going to go like... Where's the, where's the pen? And what's more, you're going to turn around and you're going to say, our fees are higher than anybody else's. And I'm going to pay you those fees for less hassle, faster completion and a higher price. And it's going to be a great investment. So let the bad brokers disappear. Let's improve standard. That'll be a great outcome. And let's remember brokers are doing this stuff day in, day out, partly, partly linked to how much money they've been making. Everyone's been super busy. So they haven't really been kind of taking the time out from doing deals to go and learn and understand all of this stuff to do so. But short term, that is a super investment to make because once you understand your customer and their pain points and how you can make it easy for them to overcome those pain points, that's when you lock in your advantage, where you start getting bigger fees, where you start getting new deals that you weren't getting before. And where you actually probably end up getting back to where you're making so much money, you get complacent. Some other new kid on the block <laughs> turns up and takes your crown away from you. And just just on that point, there's a famous, not famous, because no one really cares about this, but there's a an example here in the UK of a firm called Foxtons. 
Foxton's are very well known as a residential estate agent in London for having been super aggressive in the mid nineties, more or less. They got two, 2.2% fees in a market where one and a half percent would be a good fee. And they drove their employees like crazy. And in fact, James, my business partner used to work for them as a lettings manager. He married the HR director. One may, one may assume that he was in trouble for something or other. I don't know the full that's, story. That's one way around HR issue. <laughs> yeah, where you're going to get the sack, you're going to marry. <laughs> um, but what they did was they'd actually built their own CRM and lead management system. And it was so far ahead of everybody else in the market that it enabled them to be, you know, we'll get you the highest price. And because we're going to get you the highest price, you're going to pay us a higher fee. And over time, they didn't continually evolve their tech stack and others came in and eroded away underneath them and portals like Rightmove and Zoopla started to take away the, the buyer relationships and so on. Um, so there is, it's one of the great things about the process we're going through, a digital transformation as it were, it's happened already in certain industries, in, in certain areas within our industry, and it's happened across the board in other industries. There's so much learning from automotive or retail or air travel or all sorts of things where all of these firms have embraced technology often tens, if not twenties of years ago, and have been through multiple cycles of it. Um, so like we're such laggards in real estate. The nice thing about that is you can actually in a pretty cursory research phase, discover pretty much all the things that you're going to face going through this process and what to avoid and what to keep an eye out for on the, on the more positive side. Yeah. And, and that's actually exactly where I want to jump into next. I, I said, I'd have you out of here uh, by seven 45, cause you've got a guest you're cooking dinner for, and I'm assuming you're going to have some Irish whiskey. So we've got eight minutes left. Uh, I just, I just want to, <laughs> I just want to jump into the chat real quick and uh, just say hi to a couple people that were joined in and, and that also encourage any questions you have for Eddie, uh, please uh, throw them in the chat. We, we have some time left. I have one uh, question myself for you, uh, but if anyone does have any questions, please feel free to, uh, to put in yeah, the chat. Throw me some curveballs. Yeah, so throw like, a curveball. Uh, Eddie's always <laughs> already acknowledged that that he likes uh, being a little controversial, maybe not too much so that he, <laughs> he doesn't want to uh, rock too many boats, but he, he's willing to take some curveballs here so throw some questions in uh i saw um uh neil was in thanks for joining in neil much appreciated uh beverly also put up uh your linkedin profile eddie so i'd encourage people to go uh, thanks, connect with you and then uh, beverly i'm talking about how old school some of these guys are beverly used to work in the industry i don't know beverly did you see anybody that actually had a physical rolodex uh quick story i walked into an office of a of a guy and this was only about five years ago and he had no computer on his desk and just he had a rolodex he had a rolodex a stack of paper and a pencil and he was like 70 years old so like he clearly is going to be one of the last people to adopt technology uh but i guess that speaks to just the, the, the different uh groups of the full spectrum you can have somebody with a, an actual rolodex all the way up to somebody that's very current on technology and and everything in between well Chad, uh, I, I don't know how old you are but when i started in uh, 2003 i had i didn't have a computer i had what was called a hot box which was uh, it wasn't a rolodex but it was a box full of cards that you would color code the top tabs you know red is like a red hot buyer 
down to like green who's you know not quite ready to go and everything in between and that's how we used to you know you get a new instruction on and you'd hit the hot box and you'd hit the phones i i'm 41 and i when i started i was i was pretty proficient with excel uh just from school so like i i, I was even somewhat modernized then but i still had a notepad that i'd take actual notes on whereas i'm i'm virtually paperless right now uh so yeah it's I, i've i'm i like to think like i'm right in between i've i i'm kind of in that generation that was very old school but i also like to be think of myself anyways as being tech savvy enough that i can keep up with some of the the younger kids what you are chad is you're the you're exactly the age group of people who have said you know i'm gonna go and do something a bit different to my day-to-day real estate many of whom ended up starting prop tech companies you've gone down the media and the podcasting route and we're we're talking about it which is awesome but like that there's definitely like a it's kind of like a balance between the generations there, sort of like people who started out around the, the early 2000s who've seen seen the past and the present and possibly have some ideas about the future too. Yeah, it's that's so true. Uh, I, I see Beverly just made a couple comments. Uh, she did see a literal Rolodex and a binder of business cards. And and I remember seeing those as well. And, I, and actually, I hate business cards right now. I, I never carry them. I find them so tedious to, to carry because I want everything digital. But uh, I bet there, there's people out there that are still using uh, the, the old school binders for business cards. Uh, but I've got four minutes left. I've, I'm keeping you from that Irish, that dram of Irish whiskey. <laughs> Let me tell uh, you, it's, there's no whiskey. I made at the weekend. I made a celebratory Indian dish called a biryani, which is like a just like a biryani, a, a really rich rice, spicy rice dish. So it keeps. It's one of those things where you put it in the fridge and it gets better if you leave it for a couple of days. So this is day two. I am looking forward to some of those rich flavors coming out. I, I hope it, I, I hope I don't get I hope I don't get cancelled for just assuming that an Irish guy was going to have Irish Irish whiskey. You might be right, but not for dinner, perhaps after. Oh, dinner. A- after dinner, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, I'm going to come to Ireland one time. I'm going to have uh, I, I'm going to get you to show me like the actual uh, like a whiskey tour of, of Ireland. Yeah, you must call in. Absolutely, be happy to oblige. Um, uh, but last question, real quick. Sorry, what did you call that dish? A biryani. Biryani. Okay. Last question before I, I let you go for your biryani. Uh, how how can people stay on top? Of, or maybe maybe that's even like the end stage. How can people learn more about PropTech? Like what resources are available? So like you alluded to, someone can get up to speed on this relatively quickly if they start doing some research. Where would you start if you were advising someone to start? Well, I'm going to talk talk my book here, Tad, if, that's, if it's okay with you. just Absolutely. Um, Unisu has been designed to help real estate professionals, regardless of their uh, particular area of practice, to go on that journey from like, hey, what the hell is prop tech or what the hell is tenant experience or what the hell is workplace utilization? You know, these little elements within um, within the industry and to understand it, to meet some of the key companies that are operating in the space, to uh, see what they do, to see what some of their competitors might be doing to showcase the best uh, best case studies of tech deployment and ultimately upskill as individuals and therefore the firm so that they can start to form a strategy meet right meet meet different people look at data and think about how the industry is moving generally speaking and then actually come to the market to buy so 
our real estate users at Unisu are on the, this journey and they're often on the journey in multiple times in various different areas of, hey, what is this one at the minute? It's all about the metaverse. Like one of the biggest webinars we ever ran recently was real estate and the metaverse fad or the future. And like, I'm, I think it's nonsense. My business partner, James, thinks it's, thinks it's fantastic. It got so much great engagement. It's right at the top of that journey of what is the metaverse? Why is it even relevant? And then over, you know, probably like three, four or five years, real estate professionals will start to develop that understanding and then start to think about how they might apply it. If indeed it's not just a fad, which in which case I'll, I'll have to, uh, I'll have to hang up my hat and retire. <laughs> I'll be happy to do that, to be honest. But you're you're so right. Like nobody has a, an answer to that. I, I don't feel like there's there's no black and white. It's uh, some people are just like I have no idea if this metaverse is going to last or not. Some people take a harder position, but there's there's a full spectrum of opinions on it. So I I think it's just incumbent on people that they have to stay on top of these trends and and just watch it uh, develop. And, and and I first came across uh, you by by your website Unisu. So I I would encourage people to go check it out. I, I know Beverly just put a a link on there as well uh so yeah i'd encourage uh, people check out unisu and then uh reach out to eddie on linkedin and connect there as well that's very kind of you both and one one of the things that i think is really important to remember about technology and where the challenge is but also the opportunity and i hope that this uh this podcast today is an example of this this is the first global issue that the real estate industry has ever had to really think about most real estate professionals can do their business in their local local zip code almost. Some of them go a little bit wider. You get very, very few multinational real estate companies. And as a result, you have very, very few multinational suppliers to real estate industry, even the big brands like JLL or CBRE. They're a, a series of small partnerships all around the world operating often completely independently under one brand. Technology is no respecter of that. You have to be able to find the best practice, find the best solutions, look for the best ideas anywhere in the world, because those best ideas and, and technology solutions, you know, my house here in Northern Ireland might be almost identical to your house in, in Canada or South America or wherever, the technology solutions are gonna be very homogenous. So the real estate industry has to have a way to kind of like engage with that, that whole global uh, mindset, that global outlook. Um, we try our best at Unisu to bring in all this uh, insight from, from all around the world and very much appreciate uh, the opportunity to talk a little bit about that. Thanks, Beverly and, and Chad, for, for the shout outs. And um, please do connect with me on LinkedIn, drop me an email, whatever. Happy to talk about this, even at 8 p.m. when there's a biryani waiting for me in the oven. Well, I, I wish you all the best uh, with the, with your friends in the biryani. Uh, Beverly said biryani is delicious, so she's already had oh, it. And I'm going to have to try it one of these times. It's such too. a treat, Chad. Honestly, it is, it is delicious. I'm going to have to look up a recipe on it. That's going to be on my list of things to do. Uh, okay, well, well, thanks again, Eddie. I'm going to stay on for just a couple of minutes here. Uh, I just got a little bit of housekeeping and, and announcements I want to do. But, uh, Eddie, thank you very much. I appreciate you spending your evening with me and, and all, sharing all your insights. You're welcome. Thanks for the opportunity, Chad. Okay. And, uh, Good luck with everything on the podcast. Take Thanks, care. Eddie. Keep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was awesome. I, I love getting a perspective, uh, not just from somebody in the in the real estate space, but in the prop tech space. And, and I think his point at the end is is very profound about how a house in Northern Ireland is going to be very similar in many respects to uh, properties all over the world. And and I'm a big believer that in that in, in industrial specifically. I, I've 
been in industrial properties in many different cities. And, and I can say that there's a lot of similarities. There's specific differences that, that can occur in different markets, but for the most part, there's a lot of overlap. And that's where I think, uh, uh, when I when I try to talk about industrial real estate, I, I try intentionally not to talk about any one specific market. I want to talk about industrial real estate as more of a, a collective asset class where, where I'm hopeful anyways, that something that I'm talking about will resonate uh, regardless of where you are. And I've been fortunate to have talked to people uh, all over the world uh, as a result of of this podcast. So I'm, I'm very grateful. I, I always appreciate uh, any notes that I get or any emails. Uh, uh, two quick things I just want to say as I wrap this up. And, and actually, I, I will open this up for uh, a question or two as well, because I, I think I missed a question at the end of, of last week's podcast. Uh, and I really do uh, just try to catch everything that I can. So if anyone has a, uh, a question, uh, well, I'm just giving these last two points, feel free to, to type it in and I'll, I'll do my best to answer any question that you have. Uh, but first announcement, uh, I'm setting up a, uh, an industrial real estate newsletter. Uh, it's going to go out once a week. Uh, it'll be completely free. Uh, if you don't like it, you don't get any value. You can unsubscribe at any time. Uh, but I'm, I'll be personally curating uh, news that I feel is, is noteworthy and, and worth knowing about. And my whole idea is that if you can have this news uh, in, in a simple, digestible form uh, where I'll put in my own comments into it, I, th I really do think it'll help you stay ahead of your competition. Uh, so, uh, Wyatt, if you can just put in the, the link, uh, it's just uh, Industrial Insiders uh, with an S at the end.com. Uh, you can just subscribe there. Uh, we're aiming to have the first newsletter go out May 16th. Uh, and again, it's free to sign up. If you're not getting any value, you can unsubscribe at any time. And uh, I promise that I won't spam you uh, with that at all. And then uh, the other thing uh, is uh, I, I, we, we strip all the audio from these uh, live videos that we do and we put those onto a podcast. Uh, so if you just search uh, the industrial real estate show or the industrial real estate podcast, you should be able to find that, that out. Uh, if you wouldn't mind uh, giving a review on that, give it a one-star review. If you think it sucks, give it a five-star review. If you think it's good, uh, I'll take any rating I can get. Uh, it's pretty quick to do. If you even want to leave a few comments, that'd be appreciated as well. Uh, but I'd really appreciate if, uh, if you could uh, give a rating on that. And, uh, I think that was it. I think that's all that I had. Uh, I don't know if anyone has any questions or not. Uh, rad dad investor, uh, uh Joe popped in, uh, I, I, Joe's putting out some awesome videos right now, uh, on, on the finance topic. So I'd encourage you to check out, uh, uh, his channel and also, uh, Beverly and Neil really appreciate you guys coming in as well. Uh, uh Beverly has a live that she's doing, uh, tonight. So you can also check uh, hers out. Uh, she worked in the industrial real estate space for a long time as well. Has nothing to do with industrial real estate now, uh, but she's uh, she's a ton of fun. So, uh, Neil, uh, thanks for the comments on that. Really do appreciate it. Uh, I'll wrap up with that, but uh, thanks everybody for listening and uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks.